Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. I want to take a few minutes this morning to talk about the title of my message. It's called Strange But Not Random. Strange But Not Random. Maybe you've been around long enough to know that in life there are, th- there are just some things that are strange, aren't they? It's just a bit weird how it happens. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I remember we were we had an office set up at one point, and there was a guy that appeared at this office, and his name was Bob. And to this day, I still don't know where Bob came from. <laughs> Bob sort of would float around our office, and he got involved in bits and pieces, and, and one minute he was there, and then he was all involved in the next minute. He, he was so mysterious that my brothers and I just literally called him Mysterious Bob. He was a, he just came out of nowhere and disappeared out of nowhere. No one even knew who he was, really. And, and it's just this mysterious character. I mean, talk about strange. You've got Trevor and Rachel on the front row. And I've just met them, but I was talking with Trevor and asked him the obvious question. You got any kids? He says, no, but we've been preparing. And he said, in preparation, we bought a rat. And I mean, I've got kids, and yeah, they're rats. <laughs> ferrets sometimes, I call them my ferrets. But I never thought about buying a literal rat in preparation for them. <laughs> they're strange, but not random. No, I love you guys. You're not strange at all. You're perfectly normal. Lots of people are doing it all around the world. <laughs> Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 26, it says... Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him. And women also mourned and lamented him. And it tells the story about this man, Simon, carrying a cross. And, And here we have this character. And he appears at a three gospels out of the four for one verse and then we never hear about him again it's almost a bit strange but I feel like despite the the fact that it's a bit strange the fact that three out of four gospel writers felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to put this guy and his name in scripture tells me there must be a reason We don't know much about this guy. We know he came from a city now Tripoli in Upper Libya. We know that he was part of a colony of Greeks. We know that Jews from Cyrene, where he was from, were in Jerusalem around that time for the Feast of Pentecost. And we know they had a synagogue there in Jerusalem. We know that uh, he had two sons, Alexander and Rufus, and we'll talk a little bit more about that Later, we know that there were converts that belonged to this area of Cyrene that contributed to the formation of one of the first Gentile churches at Antioch. But, but these are simply facts. They're not really anything about him. We don't read about him again. We don't hear him referenced again. We have no idea what happened to him. So why was he mentioned by name in these Gospels? For me, there are some pretty unique aspects of this guy, Simon, that that really captured my attention when I began to think on it and pray on it. And, And for such a small yet significant mention, what is it about this man that means his name is read alongside of Jesus' name in the Scriptures in God's own Word? 
Well, when I consider Simon, the, the first thing I notice is that Simon's role is a surprise role. It's a surprise. I think it's a surprise to him as, a, as much as it is to anyone. I mean, I remember when we lived in Townsville, uh, it was my wife's birthday. And so I decided to throw her a surprise birthday party. Well, I organised this whole party, but the challenge was she, she digs out secrets. She's so good at ruining my secrets. So I worked really, really hard to keep this a surprise. And, and it was actually, uh, Stephen was up. My pastor, Ross and Mary's son, Stephen, was up. And him and a couple of mates and myself were in town. And, uh, and so what we did was we were going to go hunting. That was true. But we lied a little bit. And I told Tegan that on her birthday night, the boys were heading out to go on a hunting trip. Now, that's never great for your marriage. Good thing for me, I was, uh, had something else up my sleeve. And so I told her that we're going. I was really sorry, but the boys were in town. We had to go. You know, we had this limited opportunity. But in the background, I had a party organised. And so we, after church, we got everyone back at the party. Tegan went home, got ready for bed. And then I rang her and said, babe, the maverick is broken down. Now, that was not uncommon in a relationship for one of the vehicles to be broken down. So she believed me. And I said, look, I've parked it just around the corner from the, the Pappas place. If you just wander up, we're just chilling out, having coffee, waiting for you to come and pick us up. So I've got my wife who's irritated. Firstly, because I'm hunting on her birthday. Secondly, because I've woken her up. And thirdly, because my car is broken down and I'm asking her to come and pick us up. Well, she staggers into the Papa's house, not overly well-dressed, very unprepared, thinking she was picking up three people she was not happy with, only to find everyone there go, surprise! Let me tell you, it was a surprise. In the Bible, there's all sorts of people that have different roles, isn't there? You know, you read about different roles and this guy did this. And some of them are awesome roles. Like David's mighty men. Like, that's, that's a role. You know, go in the Bible, go down for being a dude who went into a pit and just killed a lion for the fun of it. Just because you're hardcore. That's a good role. Maybe you could be Obed Edom. He had a great role. I mean, he just put the Ark of the Covenant in his shed for a couple of months and everything went well. What an awesome role. Imagine that being your part in the Bible. King Cyrus, he's a good guy, just rich and famous. He just helped build God's city with a bit of spare cash that he had plenty of. And, and he gets this awesome chapter devoted to him. I mean, that's a great role. Queen Esther, well, she just looked hot. <laughs> Lived in the palace. She's just a great model and did really well out of it. Samson, he was like a superhero. For all we know, he's the first guy to wear undies and a cape and rescue people. Like, this guy, he had a great role. But then there are other people and their role's not so great, isn't it? Like, I mean, those roles, I would like those. But then you've got Ezekiel, commanded to lie on his side for like 399 days. That ain't, that's not much fun. That's one of the roles you go, no, how about you give that one to someone else, God? You, you've got Hosea. He was forced to marry a prostitute. That's a bit awkward. It's just uncomfortable on a whole bunch of levels. No one wanted his role. You know, he obviously drew a straw. Sure, you got John the Baptist walking around eating locusts and honey. Good thing KFC wasn't around or he would never have made that. 
I'm telling you, that's why KFC had to be invented later so that he could do his job. But one of the things I find about Simon that's unique about him is this guy's role because I can tell you now, it was not a glamorous or sought-after role. Simon the Cyrene, his role, it, it was bloody. It, it was pressured. It was hard. It was messy. It was unrewarding. Simon's role was filthy. He was surrounded by these criminals, probably terrible for his reputation. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't see anywhere in the Bible that it's recorded that Simon is politely asked by some lovely Roman soldiers. And they pull him aside and explain that this fits perfectly with his spiritual gifts test that he did the other week. (laughs) Then they ask him to just check out his diary and consider his leisure time and make sure he's got enough me time and space and will will this fit with kind of your social program for the next few weeks. I don't see it recorded that he gets a photo first with the Roman soldiers and then another one with Jesus and then they pop it on Instagram like hashtag best helper ever. I don't see that happening. I, I don't see him being encouraged by the crowd when it got tough and everyone thanks him for such a wonderful job that he did. I don't read that. I don't read that it gets hard and so someone puts some Hillsong music on in the background and the pastor sends some flowers to Simon because it's a tough day today. I don't see any of that. In fact, I see the opposite of that. No one would have noticed this guy, Simon, because they were looking at Jesus. No one would have seen him. There was no worship music playing. There was just blood and vile language and violence and abuse. I mean, if this were us, we might be tempted to think we'd missed it. What's going on, God? What have I done to miss what God wants to do? What's going wrong? I didn't sign up for this. Maybe we think, you know, isn't it interesting that we think, man, is this what serving Jesus is like? I'm out of here. This can't be right. My question is, who says? Who says we've missed it? Who says this isn't what it's... Who says this can't be what God is doing? And I'm amazed constantly that that people think that the ministry is nice and that it happens in these four walls. Because let me tell you, that is terrible thinking. And it's come from a post-Middle Ages Catholic era which says that ministry happens by certain people, but it's totally wrong. We are all ministers. We are all ministers. In fact, all you guys in your workplaces will preach to more unsaved people than I probably will this weekend. Every day you go into a place and you represent Jesus. And I tell you, every day people go into dark, pressurised, harsh, unfamiliar environments and we are to put God and Jesus into that place. I think of... uh, the guys in our church, we've got a couple of senior paramedics, Micah paramedics, they're called in Victoria. Every day, they, they are literally faced with messed up people and people on the edge. And they make decisions that people will either live or die for. Talk about pressure. I remember talking with a lady who was a newsreader. And, you know, you think that's pretty easy until she says, sometimes I just have to put the microphone down and sit and comfort them. And pray with them as they're weeping, telling me what's going on. You know, I I think about police who go into violent and dangerous situations. They're facing people at their worst day in and day out. I mean, any job can be filled with negativity, pressure, harsh things. And maybe you look at your situation and you think, surely this can't be serving God. I'd put to you, you are exactly where God needs you. You are exactly where God wants you. You know, 
Yeah, you can give God a hand if you want, or a golf club either way. I would say it was probably a surprise to other people as well that were involved with Simon carrying the cross. I mean, he was, he was just doing his thing. He was actually walking the other way. He was walking in the wrong direction and then found himself confronted with this job or this way of serving. And maybe there were other people watching who thought, well, you know, I'd be better at that. There were probably bigger, stronger guys than Simon. Maybe there was some guy who was way stronger. He would have been a much better cross carrier than Simon. He would have done it with style. He would have done it with ease. Yet it was Simon that was picked. It was Simon that was picked. What has God picked for you? What has God picked for you? Maybe something that is challenging. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's unnoticed. But, but I tell you, can you look today for God in the things that others may miss? It could be messy. It could be unrecognized, it could be bloody, it could be horrible, but God turns it into a way that we can serve Him in an incredible way. It may be totally left of field. You might have been going the other direction, but be surprised that God can open up something because He's picking you for His service. I, I think Simon gets a special mention because his role is a total surprise, and yet he goes with it and embraces it. Here's the next thing that I notice about Simon and why I feel like his name ended up in this passage is not only was it a surprise role, but it was somebody else's cross. Somebody else's cross. The other day, uh, I was having some fine dining at McDonald's. Maybe it was Hungry Jack's. I can't really remember. The two kind of blend for me these days. And uh, I sat down and... Had my meal and, and I consumed two drinks, but I didn't realise I'd consumed two drinks till I'd finished eating. See, we hadn't waited for the table to be cleared, and so we just got into eating. And then I finished my drink only to realise my drink was still sitting with my chips. And I thought, oh, I've just smashed somebody else. And then you look around thinking, Who? Who's just escaped this place and I've just smashed it? Yeah, it's, uh, my, my little boy, I've got two, I've got a beautiful wife and two little boys and Boston and Winston. And Boston lost his tooth the other day, pulled it out. And so we told him that if he shoves it under his pillow, you know, the tooth fairy will come. Well, tooth fairy was slack, um, didn't come. He ended up stashing it somewhere and I think I just paid him another day. And, uh, you know, just working out commerce in our home. And so he'd stashed his tooth. Anyway, a little while ago, I got a, he's seven, I got a two-and-a-half-year-old. And so I come out and I notice my two-and-a-half-year-old is kind of chewing on something. I'm like, Winston, what are you eating? And he just wasn't in a hurry to hand it over, so I had to sort of open his mouth and spit it out, mate, put it out. And there is Boston's old tooth. <laughs> hey, I got, I got one better for you. My, my brother-in-law... And my sister were over in China and uh, they were staying in some average hotel just in the back box of nowhere. They sort of went trekking through and they also had a young son and uh, his name was Duncan. And they were fiddling around in the room and they noticed Duncan was chewing on something. And they said, Duncan, what are you chewing on? And anyway, he probably like my boys wasn't in a hurry. Then eventually they got it out of him and he spits out a used Band-Aid that he's got from somewhere. 
See, you're all cringing, but why? We put stuff in our mouths all the time, don't we? But the problem is it's somebody else's stuff that we don't want in our mouth. That's the problem. We, we don't like getting involved in other people's stuff. And even when something bad happens, oftentimes we think, oh, glad it wasn't me. Ever thought that? You know, I watched a car back, I watched a Prado back twice into a van the other day and I'm like, whoa, glad that's not me. We're sort of a bit reluctant to get in. We've all seen those kids and thought, glad they're not mine. We've all done it, haven't we? Because we don't like getting involved in other people's stuff. But I want to suggest that oftentimes the surprise role of God for our lives comes in the form of somebody else's stuff or somebody else's cross. Let's go back. It says, as they led him away, Luke 23, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. It wasn't his cross, but he bore it anyway. Well, you go, yeah, yeah, but it was Jesus' cross. It might have been Jesus' cross, but Simon didn't know that. How would Simon have ever known that? He said Jesus wouldn't have been recognisable. Jesus had his face so beaten up and smashed, even if he did know Jesus before, and he wouldn't have seen him on the day and known who he was. Simon was coming from the other direction. So it's not like he was following the trial. He was coming the other way. And all of a sudden, he just gets met by this group of strangers. In fact, crucifixion was reserved for criminals, for the bad people. So as far as Simon knew, this was some filthy, deserving mongrel that he had to carry the cross for. How often has God put something in our path or our way and it's somebody else's cross? I reckon Simon had no idea when he was carrying this cross. He thought it belonged to some criminal who deserved it, yet with no idea he was helping the saviour of the world in his most vulnerable hour. Sometimes we palm things off as not my problem, but God is wanting us to do exactly that. Make it our problem and bring Him into the situation. It goes against our intuition, but the thing that causes greatness within is very often somebody else's cross. See, rather than looking around and blaming others or judging others, trying to make life fair, we need to ask ourselves, whose cross can I carry? Whose cross can I bear? It wasn't Simon's cross. He had no involvement at all in it. He was actually just walking past when he became arrested by a situation that led him to part of his destiny. Makes me think of Nehemiah in the Bible. Nehemiah, who was serving in the king's palace with a good role, a trusted position, probably well paid. And yet he hears about the plight of God's people. He hears about his own people in another place. He could have totally ignored it, but instead it had arrested his spirit. It distressed him so much that he couldn't even hide it from the king. And that arresting then sent him on a mission and it's part of restoring Israel and Jerusalem. It makes me think of Esther who was safe in her kingdom as a model. And she learns that her people are in grave danger. But rather than thinking, wow, gee, I'm lucky here. She puts her life at risk because someone else's cross arrested her attention. And she gave her life willingly to serve others. From what I understand, Mother Teresa didn't have leprosy. And she didn't need to live in India. She chose to for someone else's cross. 
From what I understand, Billy Graham was already saved. He could have just run a good business, had a good family. When I read history books, William Wilberforce wasn't a slave. Instead, he chose and committed his life to the abolition of slavery. Nelson Mandela was a well-paid lawyer. He could have just run a practice, ignored the problems and lived wealthily in his own nation. But instead, he spent 28 years on Robben Island, persecuted. Why? From someone else's cross. Fred Hollows was a young minister in training in New Zealand. But one stint in a mental health facility and then going over and seeing the problem with Indigenous Australians' eyes and seeing that, that, that he could fix it with a simple operation, it changed the course of Fred's history. He spent 40 years, died at age 63, uh, sorry, and went into 40 countries and was responsible for millions of people receiving their sight. He wasn't blind. He didn't have a problem. Somebody else's cross. I think William Shakespeare, not that I think he's a great purporter of morals, but he put it well when he said, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. I'll put to you this morning that greatness is often put upon us in the form of another person's cross. Sometimes we just don't get to choose what problems we come into contact with. But the key is to become an answer, to pick up the cross and to serve God through serving people. Whose cross can we carry today? What's happened in our life or come across our path that we could be the answer for? Are we asking God for a new direction when he has put a problem right in our lap that will open up our destiny? Simon gets his name in scripture, I believe, because he was willing to bear somebody else's cross. And here's the last one that I think gives Simon a unique place in the history of God's people. And that's the fact that God knew his name. My message for you this morning is God knows your name. And you know, this is actually the part that amazes me the most because on the outside, it seems like such a, a minor thing for three out of four Gospels to mention him by name. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's any connection between the disciples and Simon. It doesn't talk about any connection with Jesus and this guy Simon. It doesn't show any connection whatsoever with any of the current leadership of that time and this guy Simon. Yet it is clear that God who inspired the Scriptures wanted this man's name in the book. And of all the people on the planet, when God's own son was beaten and bloody and exhausted, probably delirious with agony, yet he still had an important part of his mission to fulfill. God knew exactly who he wanted to be there to carry the cross. God knew his name and his name was Simon. Maybe from the soldier's point of view, this was random. Maybe they just picked out a guy, but I can tell you it might have been random from their idea, but it was God who knew his name. John chapter 4, verses 3 to 8, tells us a powerful story. It says, so speaking of Jesus, he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He didn't have to. He chose to because he wanted to do something. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, he sat wearily beside the well at noontime. 
Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. There's some important things here, a couple of things to note. And the first is that Jesus hates shopping. And this is important. You've got to understand, you know, he's like, girls, if you want to go to the shops, go for it. It's literally what he says to his disciples. It's just not recorded. And since Jesus is my ultimate example, I figure how can I possibly like shopping and follow my saviour? So I feel it's my duty as a man to hate shopping. And so I, I follow God in that. But there's probably something slightly more important to look at. I love the fact that Jesus talks with taboo people. But he doesn't just talk with them, he knows them. You know, culture dictated that this woman was taboo for Jesus to talk to. As well as she was obviously not liked by the other women of the time. The reason she would have been drawing water in the middle of the day was to avoid the traffic of the other women who would more likely come at the cooler parts of the day. And she obviously wasn't liked by them. She was considered immoral. She was on her fifth husband in another relationship. Clearly there were issues here and this girl was rejected by her own community but Jesus knew who she was and where she'd be. And what really matters is that Jesus went out of his way and ended up sitting in the middle of nowhere by a well in the heat of the day in a place that most Jews hated and avoided. And he did all of that just so he could talk to one woman who everybody else had rejected. God knows who we are. He knows our name and he goes out of his way to let us know. There was another man called Zacchaeus. He was hated by his own people, despised as a traitor, a scum, feeding off, bleeding his own people. And he was up a tree hoping for just a glimpse of Jesus. Just a look, because surely God wouldn't give him more than a look. Well, Jesus stops beneath the tree and he calls to him by name to shout him lunch. It could have been that the disciples were just horrible cooks and Jesus was sick of their rubbish. That's highly unlikely. I think more than likely, Jesus knew exactly who this man was, exactly what his heart was crying out for, and God wanted to meet him personally that day. You know, whoever is here today, I, I want to tell you something, that God knows you by name. I don't know what surprising role you've found yourself in. I don't know what challenge has come your way, what assignment has landed on your desk. But regardless of others liking it or recognizing it or liking you or recognizing you, God knows your name. Whatever cross it is you find yourself confronted with, God knows your name and he handpicked you to carry that cross. I love the mention too of Simon's two sons. That's special. Because God, God didn't just know Simon, God knew his sons. Maybe you've got kids that are away from God today. You need to know God knows your name and God knows your sons' names. God knows your daughter's names. You might be the estranged son or the estranged daughter. Hey, God, God's been hearing the prayers of your parents or your grandparents and he knows them, but he also knows you. God knows you by name this morning and you might have been running from God. You might have been trying to escape him. You might have been confused by him. But make no mistake, Jesus knew you by name this morning. And it's no accident that you have arrived here in a place of his presence because God knew your name before the sun rose. And God ordained you to be here hearing someone tell you that he knew your name. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, as I finish up this morning, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You know, the truth is, if we look at the cross, in truth, it really wasn't Jesus' cross in the first place. It should have been ours. Simon carried Jesus' cross, but Jesus was carrying our cross. My challenge is, if our Saviour can carry our cross, isn't it our privilege and responsibility to look around and find the crosses of others that we can carry to lead them into His presence? Praise God, eh? You know, you might be here this morning and you didn't know that God loved you so much to carry your cross. All the mistakes you've made, all the stuff you've done wrong, all the past and the sin and the mess. You know what? God knew it all, but he also knew your name. And that verse tells me that before you were even born, God had planned to rescue you and to call you into relationship. He wants to adopt you into his own family. I don't know what your family's like or not like. You may have great family or terrible family, but let me tell you, it doesn't matter because God wants you in His family. He knows you by name and He's calling you into His family today. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Baysack Christian Church.